This is the Transcend Human Podcast, a weekly show where we learn what it means to rise above the human condition. We hope the conversation today is just what you need for the week ahead. Friends, welcome back to the Transcend Human Podcast. Great to be with you. Um, April 17th, 2023. So welcome back to the podcast and our current series that we're in on eschatology or the study of end time events. This is week two. Uh, last week we jumped in and we kind of did a high level overview of the way that society or our culture basically the way that they view this topic. So we talked about science, scientists, the doomsday clock, uh, dystopian themed books, apocalyptic movies, all things that um, portray kind of the imminent end of our planet and, and how people in those different fields or, or entertainment industry, how they view this, right? And this is really the world that we live in. But there's a whole other side to this record, if you will. There's a flip side, right? There's millions, if not billions of people in this world who also believe in a religious or a spiritual explanation about the end of time. People who don't just take a scientist's word for it. They believe in something bigger, something mystical, something magical, uh, something existential that ultimately controls our destiny. And today, that's what we're going to do. We're going to flip the record over and we're going to listen to that side, the spiritual or religious explanations about the end of time. So today's topic, Transcending Eschatology, Part 2, The Flip Side. We've got only two chapters today. Chapter 1, Getting Answers. Chapter 2, Creating Religions. Chapter 1, Getting Answers. So like I said, last week we touched on something very important when we talked about kind of the social or the cultural view of uh, the end of time. And we're going to use it as a jumping off point. So I referred to it as the big three questions. And that came out of a previous manuscript I'd written called Controversy Theory. And what I'm finding is that this whole concept of the big three questions just keeps coming up over and over and over again. And I use it in multiple ways at multiple times. And it's because I believe it's in like what I call a universal truth, not just for a certain group of people or a certain country or a certain region of the world. It's a truth that's universal. Every single person on planet Earth has the same three questions. And those questions are, as we've said, where did I come from? Why am I here? And what happens when I die? Now, according to Abraham Maslow and his theory on the hierarchy of needs, there are some people who may not even be in a place where they can ask these questions, right? Because there are base level needs that trump the big three questions. So if your current need is for air, water, food, or shelter, there's a good chance you could care less about the big three questions. But at some point, as you move up through these levels of needs, you reach a point where most of your needs are met. And at that point, 
the mind takes over. Probably somewhere in the love and belonging to esteem, but for sure the self-actualization level. And that's when you start to ask yourself the big three questions. And like we said last week, it's really the third question that touches on eschatology, trying to figure out what happens when I die or uh, what would happen if the world ended someday? And if so, what happens after that? And we said that as people ask these questions and find answers to them, they start to group up into groups of people who share those beliefs, right? Similar belief systems. And these groups can turn into religions eventually and cultures and even entire civilizations. And that's really what we're going to touch on this week. Chapter two, creating religions. So as a child, growing up in a Christian home, being taught the Christian faith in a country that's largely Christian, there's a really good chance that I grew up with blinders on. I think I grew up assuming that everybody was like me, that most people viewed the world in a similar way. But at some point, those blinders have to come off. And you realize that there are a lot of people in this world who believe very different things than I do. It's not like everyone grew up with some version of Christianity and there are just some small cultural differences that separate us. No, there are people who grew up being taught vastly different things, a completely different set of beliefs, a completely different worldview. Last week, we touched on one of those groups, the... um, a social, cultural, um, scientific uh, group of people. And we discussed them as being kind of a a unique group of people, right? And when I started to do my research on religious groups, they actually throw this group in and it's called irreligion or people who are irreligious. And this group actually makes up 16% of the world's population. And it's people who have either not heard about religion or chosen not to adhere to any specific religion. Within this category are some very well-defined groups, people we call atheists, agnostics, free thinkers, naturalists, secularists, uh, secular humanists, things like that. And it's my assumption that most of the people in this group adhere to some level of scientific eschatology, some of the end-time scenarios that we discussed last week. Things like our world ending due to a natural event, like being hit by an asteroid, or possibly a man-made event like World War III, which would most likely be a full nuclear exchange. Or maybe it's extreme weather due to global warming, both a natural and a man-made situation. But this week, like I said, we moved to the flip side and we discussed people who are part of a major world religion, people who have end-time beliefs that might include some of those things above, but beliefs that are also informed by spiritual or religious beliefs. People who believe in the supernatural and have eschatological beliefs based on the teachings of their religion. Now, I put a link in the show notes to a Wikipedia page that lists all of the religions and all of the spiritual traditions in the world. Uh, If you're interested in just how many they are, you should go take a look. It'll blow your mind. And I don't even think it's a full list. Um, But we're going to try to keep it a bit higher level than that today. So according to worldatlas.com, here are the 10 largest religions in the world. Christianity with 2.38 billion, 
Next, we have Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Shinto, Sikhism, Judaism, Taoism, Confucianism, and Kaudaism. So there's your top 10, with Kaudaism at the bottom, 4.4 million, and Christianity at the top with 2.38 billion. Now, I want to talk through some of these, and I want to start with the Eastern religions and kind of work our way to the Middle East, or what I'm going to refer to as the Abrahamic religions. We're not going to do a full overview of each, right? In this series, I simply want to know what each religion teaches when it comes to eschatology or their beliefs about what happens when you die or at the end of the world. So let's kick it off with Hinduism. The Hindu religion teaches that the earth goes through cycles, many cycles. Uh, The largest cycle is what is called a kalpa or an eon, which is made up of a thousand chatur yugas or epochs. Each chatur yuga lasts for 4.32 billion years. Within a yuga cycle, there are four additional cycles. The last of these four is called the Kali Yuga, and it is said to last for 432,000 years. And this is the era of time that's said that we're living in. It's an evil time characterized by impiety, violence, and decay. And this age is said to be ruled by a demon called Kali. But luckily, during this final cycle, the final incarnation of Vishnu, known as Kalki, will occur. Kalki, along with other avatars from human history, will arise and destroy the demons of this world. This will completely end the Chatur Yuga cycle, that big 4.3 billion year cycle we talked about. That will end one and start a new one. Now, with all of the cycles and large periods of time that the Hindus believe in, the simple summary is that life continues to go on forever and ever. And as a human living in this universe, this forever universe, the end is not technically the end because they believe in two very important concepts, karma and samsara. Karma is this idea that the total sum of our deeds will come back to us in some way. So if we do good, good will come back to us. If we do evil, evil will come back to us. Samsara uh, describes the cyclical nature of life. And one of those cycles is reincarnation, which is this belief that when you die, you will return. And what you return as depends on the karma that you created in your life. The human is made up of two very distinct parts, the physical body, and the spirit. The spirit never dies. So when you're reincarnated, your spirit is placed back into a physical body, either the body of a human or the body of an animal. And you're either reincarnated in heaven, hell, or here on earth. But it's a continuous cycle, allowing the individual to continue to learn from his or her mistakes and move up with each reincarnation. So the Hindu view on eschatology is much more focused on the reincarnation cycle of individuals. There does appear to be like an apocalyptic event every 
4.32 billion years or so. But due to the vast time periods, it's more like a universal reset that starts the next 4.32 billion year period. Okay, next up is Buddhism. So Buddhism grew out of the Taoist movement in China. They believe in a 5,000-year cycle based on the existence and the teachings of Maitreya. I hope I'm saying that right. These 5,000-year periods appear to be strong at the beginning, but then over time, the teacher of the time dies and the teachings that that teacher spoke are lost. And as the 5,000-year period gets to the middle and toward the end, that world or that epoch of time starts to fall apart. Society degenerates into greed, lust, poverty, violence, murder, physical weakness, and sexual depravity. At the end of this period, a new Maitreya will arise and lead willing participants into a more virtuous way of living. There is also a teaching called the Sermon of the Seven Sons, where the world will continue to get worse and worse until the seven sons appear. Each son will do damage to the earth until it is fully destroyed with fire. Buddhists also believe in karma and reincarnation, though it's slightly different than the Hindu belief. Buddhists believe that karma follows you, but it does not appear to teach that your spirit continues into the next life. It's more like one candle going out in order for another one to be lit. Next, let's talk Confucianism. So Confucianism is very similar to Buddhism. Um, They believe in a theory called the three suns, which can be traced back to Taoism. Each sun, green, red, and white, is a stage ruled by a different Buddha. Each stage is a progression from disorder to approaching peace to universal peace. During the final stage, people will transcend their human selfishness and will become one with everything under heaven. Confucius was always very very focused on the here and now, on getting it right in this life. Um, There really is no hope seen beyond the grave. Now, I'm not going to go into detail on some of the other ones. So there was Shintoism, Sikhism, Taoism, Kaudaism. Um, As you've seen, there's already a lot of overlap between these. Um, Even though all of them put together are kind of broken into two distinct pieces. So there are the Eastern, or what they call the Dharmic religions. So those are Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism, and Sikhism. And then there are the East Asian religions, where you have Taoism, Shintoism, and Confucianism. Each have similarities within their group, but then they also share common beliefs across all of them. Things like the cyclical nature of life, that all things are connected, uh, that what we do in this life impacts our future, typically through reincarnation, that life is about virtue and restraint. But let's move on to the Middle Eastern religions, or what we're going to call the Abrahamic religions. So in short, we refer to these religions as Abrahamic because they can all trace their history back through a promise God made to a man called Abram or Abraham. 
Abraham and Sarah had a son named Isaac. His line became the nation of Israel, or what we refer to as Judaism today. Abraham also had a son with Hagar, who was his wife's maidservant. His name was Ishmael, and his line created the Muslim nation. One of the men within this line was named Muhammad, who later became the spiritual leader and helped form the Islamic religion. So how do Christians fit in? Well, Christians believe that the Israelites were God's chosen people. They believe Jesus was a direct descendant of Abraham, and they believe that Jesus was the foretold Messiah. So Christians are really the next logical step in the Jewish faith, if, of course, Jesus is who he claims to be. So there you have it. The Abrahamic religions are Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. Now, if you look at any list, there are are typically a few other ones that are added in there, right, that hold that Abraham is an important piece of their faith. So there's Babism, Baha'i faith, Druze, and Mandaism, just to name a few. But due to our time constraints, we're just going to kind of focus on the big three. And the fact that there are three big ones is not lost on me, because there's definitely something magical about the number three. In fact, I did a little bit of research, and there's a very real thing called the rule of three. It's this basic idea that people connect with groups of three. And this works in every different genre of life. It works with everything from the three stooges to more spiritual concepts like the Trinity. We have three primary colors. There's three flavors in Neapolitan ice cream, rock, paper, scissors. You have marketing taglines like just do it and I'm loving it. Even the human psyche, right? We think, we feel, and we behave. And the list just goes on and on forever. There's just something about three. And while we don't have time to fully unpack the rule of three, it might become a podcast episode at some point just because of how significant I feel like it is. But let's get back to the Abrahamic religions. Uh, Before I get into the religious tradition that I grew up in, um, let's talk through the other two. So first up is the eschatology of Islam. So according to the Zwemer Center for Muslim Studies, um, there are six major things we should know about the Islamic faith as it heads toward the end of time. The first, geography matters. So there's a very large group of Muslims who believe that the goal of Islam is to defeat Christianity, thus the rise of militant groups like ISIS and some of the other um, terrorist groups you see within Islam. Number two, signs and wonders. So Islam teaches that there will be end time signs in the heavens, things like the sun rolling up, the stars falling, um, issues with oceans and graves being turned upside down. Number three, there will be moral decay. So the death of religious leaders, a rise in religious ignorance and intolerance, uh, increased use of alcohol, the use of instruments to entice people away from morality, uh, sexual immorality, and the change in the gender ratio to where there will literally be way more women than men. Number four, it will be terrifying. So Islam teaches that fear and anxiety will reign supreme 
in the last days and that judgment will be very severe and getting into heaven will be a very difficult task. Number five, hell, hellfire and brimstone. So the sacred text uh, suggests that many will face some form of hell when it is all said and done. And the final one is the role of Jesus. So Islam actually refers to the second coming of Jesus, that he will bring peace and justice at some point. Now, these are just six interesting facts on what Islam teaches about end times. Uh, Wikipedia goes on in full detail and gives us some more important pieces to the story. So Islam believes in this thing called the small resurrection, which is what happens when a person dies. They believe that the soul leaves the body and is basically interrogated by two angels before it enters the spirit realm. Then at the time of the end, in, in what they call the final hour, there will be the signs and wonders that we talked about. There will be a trumpet blast, and then all living beings will die. Next, there will be a resurrection and an agonizing time of waiting. Then there will be some kind of divine judgment. And from there, there will be this massive bridge that people will walk across. And you either make it to heaven on the other side, or you fall off the bridge and land in hell. Now, there seems to be a lot of debate about who actually makes it to heaven. Some some people in Islam suggest that the majority of people will spend at least a little time in hell. However, there seems to be a way for those in hell to recognize their past misdeeds and eventually be restored into heaven. Next up, let's talk about the eschatology of Judaism. So Jewish eschatology is kind of based on the Tanakh or the Jewish Bible, largely the books of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 38, it describes a war called the War of Gog and Magog, uh, a large final battle that will basically free Jews from all oppression. Here's their timeline, both historic and futuristic. So in the past, God saved Israel out of captivity in Egypt. God returned Israel to the promised land. God restored a kingly house of David. Um, God helped restore a temple in Jerusalem. And then moving into the future, at some point, God will appoint a regent from the house of David. Now, this regent will be what we call the Messiah and will usher in the messianic age, an age of time full of justice, righteousness, and peace. It is said that all nations will recognize that God is the one true God. Then, at the end, the very end, God will resurrect the dead, and God will create a new heaven and a new earth. Now, the interesting thing I found with Judaism is that there is a lot of disagreement, especially in three of the following things that happen at the end of time. First, the resurrection of the dead, and who is actually resurrected. Second, the judgment, and who actually gets judged at the end of time. And then the whole concept of the afterlife, right? The concept of heaven and hell and if they exist or where they're located, things like that. Now, the debate often comes from which form of Judaism you adhere to. In other words, just as there was disagreement between the Pharisees and the Sadducees 
in days of old, the same exists today between traditional Jews and Reformed Jews. Not to mention that there's an entirely new group called the mystic tradition that typically embraces the idea of reincarnation almost. Or maybe they do, I don't know. Um, But to wrap up Judaism, I think the original timeline is a pretty good summary of their belief about the end of time. Right, A Messiah will come, and all of the world will acknowledge that he is God. That will usher in a time of great peace. Then God will resurrect the dead and potentially judge them. Then he will create the recreate the earth. And at that time, we will all enter the afterlife in whatever form, shape, or form that is. Now, we don't have a lot of time, but I did want to throw in a couple random ones before we get to Christianity. And to be 100% honest, I'm really not sure um, if these would fall under Abrahamic religions or not. But I wanted to discuss Mormonism and the Jehovah's Witnesses. So whether they're Abrahamic or not, I just want to walk through those two real quick before we get to the third big one, which is Christianity. So according to Robert Millett from ldsliving.com, Uh, Mormons believe that the following seven things must happen before the end will come. First, the gospel needs to be preached to the entire world. Second, congregations of saints must be found all over the earth. Third, there needs to be baptisms for the dead, and they need to take place in the Holy Land. Fourth, the church headquarters must be moved to a location in Missouri. Five, the Savior needs to appear in his temple, the one that will be built in Missouri. Six, the great council meeting needs to take place. And seven, there must be signs in heaven. So again, with the the signs like the sun being darkened, the moon turning to blood and stars falling, things like that. Now, according to uh, teachings of the church, the souls of the dead are basically hanging out in a spirit world, waiting for the end to come. And at the end, Jesus will return with great power and great glory. Uh, The righteous will be caught up to meet him in the sky. Resurrections are said to happen in a couple different ways. So when Jesus returns, he will judge all people. Um, The righteous people will be resurrected, some to the highest kingdom and others to a second kingdom. The non-righteous dead will remain in the spirit world for a thousand years. And the living who are not righteous will be banished from the earth. Now, I'm unsure what that really means, if it means that they're actually banished from the earth and they end up somewhere else, or if they are killed and then basically enter the spirit world with the non-righteous dead. But whatever the case, it doesn't matter. Um, Next, the earth will be cleansed with fire, and Jesus will set up his kingdom over heaven and earth. And then during this 1,000 years, um, there will be a time of peace under a theocratic government. However, for some reason, missionary work and temple work for the dead will continue during this time. At the end of the 1,000 years, Satan... Uh, will be released for a short period of time, and there will be a battle between him and his army and the archangel Michael. Um, It is said that Satan will be defeated and he will be banished forever. 
Then Jesus will perform the final judgment of souls. And it's unclear what happens after that, assuming that those found righteous are then resurrected to be with the other living righteous. I'm not sure. At any rate, the earth is said to be celestialized at this point, and the righteous are given control over it, getting to rule with God and Jesus in the universe. And finally, we have the Jehovah's Witnesses. So the Jehovah's Witnesses Church teaches that Jesus has been ruling in heaven since 1914. And at that time, a period of cleansing began. It's said that on earth, things will deteriorate quickly. So we will see false religions, war, disease, famine, earthquakes, and the progressive degeneration of morality. No dates are set for the end of time, but at that time, Armageddon will occur. Basically, the destruction of the entire worldly governmental system by God. So God will come and basically take over and regain control over the earth as it was in the past. People will be resurrected over a period of time. And during this time, called the Day of Judgment, which is actually a thousand years, uh, people will continuously be judged, not for what they did on earth, but for what they do after the resurrection. And at the end of the thousand years, Satan will return and try to mislead humankind yet again. But it is said that he will fail and humanity will be glorified once and for all. The church has predicted the end over the years, not the exact date of the end, but time ranges. And every time a time range passes, it's revised and new information is given and a new range is provided. They currently believe that the end is imminent. Now, like I said, there are many religions out there, and I really wanted to dive into the Baha'i faith, Christian science, Scientology, but we just can't do them all. So that really leaves us with Christianity, the faith tradition that I grew up in. And we're not going to dive into it today, as there is just way too much to cover. Uh, the Christian world is very fractured when it comes to eschatology, and it starts to get pretty complex. Not that some of the Eastern religions didn't have very complex ideas, but for some reason they were a bit easier to summarize into big concepts like the cyclical nature of life, karma, reincarnation. Or maybe it's just because I wasn't raised in those religions, right? I was raised with Christianity, with all of the ideas and all of the details and all of the dates and the times and the prophecies and all of those things. So maybe that's why it seems so much more complex to me. But whatever the case, I just know that I can't summarize it well here. We're going to have to call it good for today and dive into Christian eschatology next time. That way we'll have a full episode in which to set the stage and lay a solid foundation for the rest of the series. So let's land the plane. Uh, first of all, thanks again for walking me down the avenue of world religions. Uh, I know that we didn't touch on every single one out there, but if we did, we would probably be here for another few weeks. Uh, the world is filled to the brim with religious and spiritual expressions. Uh, the list I linked to from Wikipedia is insane. So many to choose from and so many variations on a theme. 
But hopefully the large expressions that we looked at will give a good overview as to the way many of the world's religions view the end of time. So let's do a couple of questions and then we'll go. First, where are you at with the big three questions? Have you answered them for yourself? Are you part of a religious tradition that answers them for you? Or are you part of the irreligion or irreligious group that we discussed at the beginning? Those who take a more scientific approach to the world and its future. Number two, if you are part of your religious tradition, which one is it? And have you spent time thinking about the eschatological views of that faith? That's it for this episode. Uh, Thank you again for being here. If you find yourself drawn to this podcast or this series specifically, don't be shy about it. Share the podcast with your friends, with your family. Uh, Give it a rating on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, Share episodes on social media. Every little thing you do um, helps transcend human grow. And it allows us to be found by people who are really looking for this type of content and really needing to find it. Uh, My hope is that there are people out there who are typically adverse to topics like these who will find it interesting, right? Because of the way that it's presented. Instead of me picking a side and really trying to overwhelm you with details so that you'll believe the way that I do, my hope is to simply throw out a variety of ideas and let you think through them yourself. I'm not going to hide the way that I feel or the path that I've chosen, but at the end of the day, it's not on me to convince you how to believe. Knowledge is power, and I'm just the middleman, so to speak. And I'm just trying to make the knowledge about the end of time and end time events just feel a little more accessible. So with that said, everyone, I hope you have a great week. I hope you're safe and sound wherever you're at around the country or around the world. Until next time, everyone, keep transcending human. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Transcend Human podcast. If you're interested in the show notes for this episode, head on over to transcendhuman.com forward slash podcast and navigate to the episode you're looking for. On the website, you'll also find blog posts, podcast series, and other helpful resources to help you navigate the Transcend Human ecosystem. You'll also find links to our social media channels, And as always, if you have questions, feel free to contact us at info at transcendhuman.com. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you back here on Monday morning.